Hey guys, thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Candace Laycock. This week on the show, we have Lacey Day, who is going to share her journey of domestic adoption. We talk about birth family relationships, choosing an agency, and facing some hard realities of adoption, like long waits and disappointments. But before we get to that episode, I want to tell you about the Promise Summit. The Promise Summit is a Christian conference for those considering adoption in the wait of adoption or families who have adopted. The conference is going to be in Greenville, South Carolina on May 3rd and 4th. Come with your spouse or a friend and get helpful tools and resources and meet other adoptive families. This event will probably sell out, so even though it's only December, it's not too soon to get your tickets and start planning your trip. To learn more about the summit, visit thepromisesummit.com and stay tuned for a special promo in just a little bit. All right, here's my interview with Lacey. All right, welcome, Lacey, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So um, what brought you to adoption? Derek and I, when we started dating, we just talked a lot about it. It was always something in my life um, that I had kind of on the back burner. My mom had worked at an infertility clinic for about 25 years, and so just... um, you know, being around the people she worked with and kind of, you know, in the background watching or hearing about people's struggles um, with infertility and, you know, then the mentioning of adoption and that kind of stuff, it just stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for Derek, adoption was part of his life as well. And so we just talked a lot about how we felt like that was a calling for us and something that we wanted to do as a couple. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm sure hearing your mom's stories was really formative. Um, And was there a specific reason you went with domestic adoption? Um, For us, it made sense as far as Derek's job. He's a college football coach, and the research we had done on international adoption as far as um, time frames and being in another country and extended periods of time once you got over there, We weren't sure if we could make that work as a family, and we wanted Derek to be there as well. Um, So we focused on domestic adoption at that point. Telling us a little bit about your journey, how long long from, like, after you're done with your home study till you were matched with your first match? Sure. So um, our home study finished in the beginning part of May in 2016. And we were matched mid-August 2016. Um, That match did not work out. And so um, in the middle of September of 2016, we found out that that wasn't going to be a viable option anymore. And so um, we rematched again in the beginning of December. And Landon was born in the beginning of January. I know there's a difference between uh, disrupted adoption and a failed match. Could you just define that for us? Yeah, it's all, um, I guess, based on people's opinions and your viewpoint on adoption. Um, For us, in a perfect world, there would be no need for adoption. Mm -hmm. And so um, if a parent, if a birth parent, if an expectant mom decided, you know, during the match that they decided, hey, I think I, I want a parent, we wouldn't consider that a failed match. Um, that is her right and her choice to parent, no matter what, regardless of the circumstances or you know whatever situation um, that had been put together at that point. So nothing's failed about that. Mm-hmm. That is that woman's choice. And again,
in, in a perfect world, but we want to, you know, keep families together. And, and so our role in that would be that we were there to support, you know, and to be, to step in when she needed us to step in, not, you know, to take that baby if it wasn't the route she wanted to go. Right. So for us, that, there's nothing <clears throat> failed with that. Um, a disrupted match for us might mean something like maybe the woman lost the child, lost the baby. You know, again, nothing mm-hmm. failed, just something happened. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps in adoption there can be a lot of unethical things that are going on or fake pregnancies or no intention to place. Um, that, that kind of falls under um, a failed match. Okay. You know, there, there was really nothing there to begin with, and so that match failed. There, it, it never was. How would you recommend people discern that when they are looking for an agency, that they are with an ethical program? And again, I can't speak much to international adoption, so I can only speak from our domestic adoption experiences, is that there are very, um, there, there's little regulation hmm. on adoption and agencies and attorneys. There's no federal laws. It's all state laws. Um, and there's, there's ways to get around things. And so for the couple or the person or the individual who's wanting to adopt, our best advice would be to do the research. And it is so easy to get caught up in your emotions and the excitement of having a child in your life and, um, situations. If, if they sound too good to be true, they probably are. And it's easy to um, take everything at face value with all the different emotions and the things you have to do in order to just be able to adopt in general that I think people get tired and it's taxing. Mm -hmm. And so they get to a certain point where they're just okay with whatever is presenting to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it... You, you just, you have to do the work. It is easy to say, well, my friends use this agency. They must be really good. Mm-hmm. Well, it might have been okay with your friends. Maybe you guys have different values. Or, um, you know, maybe your standard for ethical practices is different. So just because it worked for somebody else, it doesn't mean you can jump in blindly and say, yes, these must be really good people because these really good friends used them. They might have not have been aware of other things going on and so you know you have to ask the really hard questions you probably don't want the answers to yeah. are the questions you really need to ask mm-hmm. okay that's a great advice um what are some questions that people could ask their the agencies they're looking at sure so for us um in the process of going through an adoption from start to finish we've learned a lot within that process and then so much more after the fact from the people we met along the way and trying to put, you know, like our thoughts and emotions into, um, if we did this again, what would be important to us? What are the hard questions? Um, and what you really need to understand about the different contracts that agencies or attorneys are sending you. Um, and so for, for us, it came, it comes down to, I mean, we have a huge list, but some major hitters just to get, you know, started with somebody, um, some of like our different values and ethics and questions are things like, um, 
what are your birth mother and your birth family supports during the adoption process and after? Do you have um, lifetime support for that person or family, or once it's done, do you wash your hands clean? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your policy on closed or open adoptions? And for each family, that is a personal choice, but understanding um, what type of agency you're working with and what, what their expectations are and how they foresee adoptions going in their agency is important. Um, so cost of adoption domestically, they say an average is twenty-five to fifty thousand um, dollars. So asking them um, a few things with cost. So what are their fees? Are they transparent with their fees? And do their fees seem reasonable? Um, also with the cost, are they are they charging a different amount based on race, gender, and age of a child? Hmm. And then another question for us that is important, and it might not be for other people, but it falls into the disrupted match category, is when are you matching um, expectant mothers with families? For us, we feel like that person, that woman needs time, and they need to be able to talk, and they need their needs met and they need to have resources before they can really make a decision um, that is best for them and their child and so are you what trimester are you matching um, families with birth families adopted families with birth families Um, and then how many families do you work with in in a year how many birth mothers expectant mothers are you working with in a year and what are your matching time frames a lot of times People think a quicker match is better, and and sometimes that's just not it. It it, it sounds good in theory because we're a culture of you know quicker, better, faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there enough time going on that everybody's needs are being met? Is everybody being taken care of the right way? So those are some questions you can ask. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton more, but those are some that were that are pretty big for for our family. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Um, so going back to your story and, and losing that first match, what gave you um, hope during that heartbreak? It's never a position you want to find yourself in, but it's a very um, hard and fast reality of adoption. I mean, this is somebody else's child, and they're in control, and they get to make the choices. And um, I guess for us... I don't want to say it was harder or easier one way or another, um, but we just had some calm within our hearts that, you know, after talking to different people that this wasn't the child for us. This wasn't the plan God had for our family. And so while we were devastated, you know, emotionally and financially at the, at that time, wondering how are we going to move forward with this again, we knew that, Like, God wouldn't start something and not finish it. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of kept going in that direction. Um, At the time, we kind of shut off, you know, to ourselves because uh, it it was really hard to hear people say some of the things they were saying. Their intentions were really good. Um, But it really didn't help, you know, with the heartache and the loss in a plan moving forward. And so we just kind of stuck to ourselves and kind of, you know, did a a quiet, like, hey, what are we going to do when this happens again? 
And for our family, that meant we were very, very quiet. We told our parents, um, and that was really it. We told one coach that Derek worked with in case he needed to leave what was going on with our second match. And that that's kind of how we dealt with it, knowing mm-hmm. we knew it would happen. We didn't know when. Um, but we knew, like, for our own, we had to protect ourselves the second time around. To any parents who are listening to this who are maybe in that situation, maybe they've um, just lost that opportunity to adopt, do you have any advice for them? I wouldn't say close off the way that we did. Um, it, it made sense at the time, and it, it, it felt better to us, but at the same time, we missed out on the opportunity for, you know, other people to help build us up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you miss out on connections of other people going through or who have already walked where you're trying to walk. Um, you know, they have great advice. And, you know, maybe hearing somebody else's story within your own heartache, you know, helps you heal. And so I would say, you know, be open. Are there people in your community or can you join an online community possibly where people can, you know, come with you and help bring you through the heart? Yeah, that's a hard line to walk, that being vulnerable with people um, so you can receive that support. But at the same time, you just can't let everyone in on that. Yes, exactly. So selective selectively sharing with, you know, maybe specific people. Exactly. When you were in that waiting time of waiting until you were matched again, um, I imagine there was a lot of fear about it happening again, like you mentioned. And how did you combat that? And did you ever think of giving up on the adoption? Or did you, did you, were you always solid in the fact that you would work through it? Uh, we were solid. I don't, ever remember, and I, I could ask Derek if he did, but I don't remember thinking this will never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in a lot of different online communities that we are, were in, and some some of them were very quiet in, and, you know, we want to learn and listen, and others, you know, we take kind of a, a forward step in, but that there is a lot of, I, I'll say, despair out of people and families, mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, the why me? how long is this going to take and it's hard it's hard to put yourself out there like you said and be vulnerable um at the same time it's so hard not to compare your story with somebody else's and I think that comparison steals people's joy and um the waiting is hard and the not knowing but for us I just don't I don't feel like we ever thought this is never going to happen we just knew when it, it didn't happen the first time, maybe the next time, and maybe not that time, but the next time. We didn't ever lose hope that it wouldn't or want to give up, and so that was never really an issue for us. Yeah. I totally know what you mean about that comparison game. We um, we are in our second adoption, and mm-hmm. there we are going through the country of India. There have been a lot of slowdowns in the country over the summer, um, and I'm in an online group with all people who are around the same place we are with our adoption. And it's so helpful and it's such a help um, to, to hear from other people and their things. But I was get I was like kind of going down a dark tunnel of discouragement because just post after post of um, just being really discouraged and understandably so. 
Sure. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to live in that. Right. <laughs> so. You you hit a good point because you said you know the online communities the adoption community in general is very small mm-hmm. and once you find an online community to me it feels then like it's really big because there's all these people who you know are your quote people mm-hmm. they're living the life that you live they've had some of your shared experiences you're waiting with them you know and cheering them on and all that kind of stuff um, but that is also like you said a scary path because. There are days when, you know, your outlook isn't as good. And when you do see post after post of a, a match or congratulations or this and that, while you are so excited and share the joy with that family, a little part of you, you know, starts to question, well, what's wrong with us? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we chosen? You know, are we doing something wrong? Should we change this? Did we say that wrong? And you can really start to beat yourself up over it. Um, and, and that's hard. It's a really odd, hard place to be. Um, But I think within those communities, like you said, you find people who you really connect with. Mm -hmm. And we found some really great friends through that. And we've had this exact conversation of, you know, never, like they matched before we did. And never once, you know, was I not over the moon for them. And never once did I think, well, we knew we were with the same consulting people. We knew we were presenting on some of the same cases. And never did I think, I hope they pick us over them, mm-hmm. you know, or what happens if they get chosen before us. We were just, you know, like jumping up and down for them. And so mm-hmm. I think when you find people that you can truly connect with within those communities, those are the friendships, you know, that you hang on to and the people you really lean in with when it's hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They understand those situations you're in on a a whole new level exactly especially when you're on the same timeline it's it's really uh, it's really like a great friendship yes because it it doesn't it's it's not a competition it's just somebody that you know is right there with you in the same you know circumstances and you just you share their joy and you share their heartache and Mm -hmm. it it is what it is have you um stayed in touch with those some of those friendships. Yes. Okay. We always That's laugh cool. because um, our husbands probably laugh the most at us <laughs> because some of them we've still never met. You know, mm-hmm. we're going on starting this process of January 2016, so it'll be three years in January, though we've never met in person, mm-hmm. but we talk to multiple times a week. You know, and yeah. we, we cool. share what our kids are doing and, you know, your daughter do this what about your son how are you feeling with this you know mm-hmm. how was your visit with so-and-so's birth parents all that kind of stuff yeah you know? just different questions that you just feel like you've got your people in your corner with you that totally understand your highs and your lows and you don't have to worry about um you know how you're phrasing a question or how you're talking about something with them because they get it yeah I'm going to take a quick break here and tell you about two awesome sponsors that we have this week. And when we come back to the show, Lacey is going to share about birth family relationships. Sponsors. 
sponsoring the show this week is Fawn and Foster. They are a foster and adoptive family, and I can't wait for you to go check out their store. They recently adopted their son from foster care, and they currently have his baby brother in their care via foster care. After becoming foster parents, they quickly realized the incredible need for precious foster children. So they created a Baby's Essentials brand for giving back, and they donate 50%, yeah, that's 50% of their profits, to organizations that directly help foster children. They sell baby essentials like 100% organic cotton muslin swaddle blankets and burp cloths, baby bandana bibs, and multi-use nursing and car seat covers. Their goal is to help as many foster children as possible. You can check out their store on their Instagram at Fawn and Foster or go to their website, fawnandfoster.com. That's F-A-W-N-A-N-D-F-O-S-T-R. They seriously have the cutest stuff and I just still can't believe that they give 50% of their profits to help foster kids. So this is a company you're going to want to check out and support. Our other sponsor this week is the Promise Summit, which you heard me talk about at the beginning of the show. And you're about to hear a quick word from them about the conference. Have you heard about the Promise Summit? If you are out there and you're listening right now and you are hoping to adopt or you're an adoptive parent or you're struggling with infertility or maybe you feel called to adoption and you just have no clue where to start, then you need to be at the Promise Summit. Casey, tell us a little bit about what the Promise Summit is. The Promise Summit is a Christian conference for couples considering adoption in the way of adoption and or families who have adopted. This event is packed with powerful speakers, incredible worship, and a panel that represents all members of the adoption triad and is sure to be a weekend that you will never forget. Our hope is that you leave the Promise Summit forever changed and armed with the promises from God that will encourage you throughout your entire adoption journey. The Promise Summit will be held May 3rd and 4th in Greenville, South Carolina, and we would love to meet you there. You can find out more information at thepromisesummit.com or on Instagram at thepromisesummit. Um, so let's let's sort of switch gears now and talk about your um, your relationship with your little girl's uh, birth family. Yes, um, we love them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what was it like meeting her for the first time? It was awesome. I mean, it's it's the weirdest, coolest, like, neatest, like, in-awe experience ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, because, you know, we had, let's see, we, we essentially had two months to get to know Landon's birth family, you know, via text, FaceTime, that kind of stuff. Uh, that shortly went down to a month because Landon came three and a half weeks early. Um, and so, you know, we texted every day. We, we FaceTimed multiple times a week, just, you know, building a bond and a relationship and getting to know them and them getting to know us. And then it's like, you show up and I'm in her hospital room, you know, and it's like, well, she's a complete stranger. She is not a complete stranger. And, it's just, like I said, the coolest, neatest. I probably looked like a creep to her because I just felt like I kept staring at her like, she's really real, you know, like she's really here. I really get to 
hug her in person, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, on the flip side of that, there's all the emotions when you meet them. Yes, we're happy to meet her. We're so excited to spend time with them. But at the end of the day, it is a very sad and hard place to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want... I think adoption a lot of the times gets painted as this really happy, neat thing because a family's coming home with a child. But at the end of the day, there's a family going home without one. Right. And uh, their family is still a part of your life and family. What is that like? Um, it's it's so cool. Like we uh, we text a few times a week. We Facetime when we can. You know, it's hard. They have their own life. We have our own life. We're at different time zones. Um, you know, Leanon has brothers and sisters that are in activities. You know, they have jobs. You know, so just trying to balance it all. We'd all like to be able to talk more than we do. We always, you know, joke at the fact that we can't wait until Derek gets a coaching job in Texas, you know, so we can be closer together and that kind of stuff. Um, So for us, like, open adoption can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, I know a lot of people are scared of the, the word or the term open adoption. They don't know what it might mean or feel like and there's different levels of open adoption and for us like it's I'm not sure unless we lived in the same town how much more open it could be yeah we don't a lot of people's fears are things like well you you don't I don't want to feel like I'm sharing my child with them I I can't I can't wrap my mind around that statement um Mm -hmm. I don't understand it so I, I can't really speak to that but are we why don't you want to share everything you can about your son or your daughter with the people who brought them into the world? Yeah. They're not replacing you. You're not replacing them. The more people who can love your child, the better. Um, and maybe you just answered this, but why do you think it's, why do you think that is important? I mean, we want our daughter and future children to know everything they can know about their story and, you know, where they came from and who are the people in their lives that, you know, have put her before everybody else. And, you know, one of our biggest fears going into adoption was, well, what if we don't have the answers to this story? And I think for international adoption, that is very much a hard reality is you don't know a lot of those things. You'll never know the answers to a lot of those questions. And we feel like we want to be able to answer any and everything we can for our daughter. Mm -hmm. And for her to feel connected to her birth family on every level possible. You know, so keeping the communication open and the visits and sharing, you know, our lives and our families it's the best case scenario for a really traumatic experience in somebody's life. Yeah. You know, I just want to say that there's, I'm sure a lot of cases where it's, it's not possible or maybe it isn't the best thing, but if it, if it could be, then, then why not? Right. And a lot of times, um, 
you know, the things we hear in some of these online communities are people kind of venting, you know, like so-and-so's birth mother did this or did that, and it becomes, it, you can really spiral down negatively really quickly, and at the end of the day, when you realize it's not about me or my needs or how it made me feel, I, I think you can table a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it's not about you or me, it's about that child, Right. so it, I just, would I ever put our daughter in a situation where she was unsafe? No. Um, but being able to answer questions and maybe help her keep doors open or close ones that she chooses to in life, then, then I want to make sure that I've given her all the best accurate information she can have to be able to make those decisions for herself when she's old enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. I think that um, maybe the old school attitude towards adoption was just to keep those two worlds separate. Right. Um, but now I think we're starting to realize that's not what's best for the child. And, you know, I think you and I, if we were in that case, we would want to know everything there is to know. And so right. why would we keep that from them? Right. And, you know, each adoptee is different. There is mm-hmm. no one voice that speaks for everybody and their needs or wants or desires. And so, again, it, it goes back to keeping all avenues open. And when that child is old enough to make their own decisions, then you hand it over to them and you guide them gently, you know, knowing that they're in charge now. And up until they're old enough to be able to do that, it's our responsibility to do that for them. So that when they can make the choice, they really do have a choice, and it hasn't been made for them. Yeah. That's great advice. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lacey, for sharing this really helpful information. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you gained a lot from hearing from Lacey. And thanks to Mr. Wives for our theme song, Drummer Boy, off their album, Let the Light In. Before you close your podcast app, if you're enjoying Adoption Hacks, give us a five-star rating and review and go follow us on Instagram at Adoption Hacks. That's going to do it for this week. I will be back next week with a new episode about foster care. Talk to you then. Yeah.